Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial help and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with 19 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. Yeah, you can also check out our website, moneymd.net. There's a link in the top right-hand corner. You can obviously catch us on 1230 a.m. or you can uh, stream us really from wherever you're hanging out. That's right. Here on a cold uh, Saturday yes. morning. Yeah. Quite chilly. You want to be in by the fire. Yeah. And you can also have your... Well, you can also have your download your TuneIn radio app downloaded yes. to your smartphone. That's my favorite way of listening. Um, you know, you can listen to us while you're, you know, drinking hot chocolate mm-hmm. or uh, on a cruise in the Bahamas. Yeah, no, that would be a nice place. That would to be, be nice, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah, because I mean, you know, with all that snow up in the Northeast, they've had this week. They've gotten hammered. Well, you know, it's snow. cold is a relative term. It's very cold here in the CSRA, but I have a, a weather app on my phone. Yeah, and I put International Falls, Minnesota, on there. Out. Now that's cold. Out. 26 below zero. Ooh, yeah, they've had some so, brutal cold. So 20 degrees, eh, it's, it's cold, but it's not that cold. Yeah, that's true. You know, you just got to wear your thermals. I got like an extra layer on underneath here today, <laughs> and it's uh, feeling yeah. quite toasty. There I you like go. It. Good. I like it. All right. Well, um, you can also email us uh, directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us on our website, moneymd.net, where you can just um, send us a link there. We'd love to have your questions and comments. Um, but John, I think we have an awesome show lineup for the day. Um, you know, we're, we're headed into tax season. So. Oh no. It's that painful time of the year when you guys start thinking about taxes. So we have the 12 boneheaded tax mistakes to avoid. Mm-hmm. You don't want to make any of these because mm-hmm. these are really kind of boneheaded. You don't want the IRS to be calling you. No, you That's- don't. You don't. And I mean, you know, it's amazing how many are just careless mistakes, things that you think you could avoid, but, but people make them. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we have an article here, a couple articles, um, locally, uh, that we, we pulled and, and you know, it's amazing what people do. So yeah, you want to tune in for that. Yeah. And then we're going to follow that up with a, an article out of CNN Money. And, and we talk about this periodically. They've gotten a lot of press lately. DFA, Dimensional Fund Advisor. That's the mutual fund company that we use. They're in the news again, and uh, it's an article about one of the founders um, and how kind of DFA works, kind of behind the scenes a little bit, their philosophy, why they've had such uh, tremendous success. They're like the eighth largest mutual fund in the world now. Most people don't know of DFA, but they've done extremely well. So we're going to dive in, kind of give you a behind the scenes on that one. And it really boils down to the philosophy of investing, doesn't it? It I does. Mean, you know, and th- so this that's one reason why this article I think is so pertinent it underlines a new way of investing and to think about investments. Mm-hmm. And DFA has it right. I really believe that. Yes. Very, very good fund company. And then we're going to follow up with an article, current current event. Um, you, you know, Steve, the last couple of years, a lot of political turmoil, can't get budgets passed, can't come to agreements. Well, they, the House, they finally uh, passed a, a bill 
and it was it's gone through now of uh, one point one trillion dollars to so to we actually have a budget now we do we That's, do it's not the best one in the world but it's uh um, <laughs> no. first one in like five years though so yeah fortunately the you know the markets that's been a kind of a stumbling block for the markets over the last couple of years so we're going to dive into that topic a little bit and uh, take a sigh of relief. Yeah, <laughs> right. that, that's yeah. That, For the it's time being, anyway. Yeah, that's right. That is a good, interesting topic. All right, but we're going to lead off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Employee Benefit Research Institute, and. You know, Steve, we've, we've talked about this before. Um, we do a lot of planning for our clients, and um, a lot of times plans don't always work out the way you expect them. And so this is one of those statistics that we see that is, is a little surprising, but 47% of retirees actually left the workforce uh, sooner than they expected. A lot of times it was because of health issues, uh, maybe a disability, or even corporate downsizing. So, you know, one out of two people had planned on working longer you know, to build their retirement, and they were forced out is what that tells me, right? And it, yeah, and it just shows you need to be prepared early, you know, because you don't know. I mean, if you're planning to work to 65 and that's your retirement plan to be ready at 65, well, what if something happens and you have to leave at 62 or mm-hmm. 60, you know? I mean, so you, you need to have a contingency plan because you can't always work as long as you'd like to work. Yeah, and here's the other interesting stat in that is only 7% of those individuals who actually retired earlier than anticipated, it did so for positive reasons, and that, that was, you know, their retirement accumulation was larger than expected, and we, we don't run across that too often um, from, no. from folks. But um, in some cases, if we do run across folks that have saved very well over their lifetimes, have minimal debt, emergency funds, some of the things that we talk about, and they are able to step out in, in their late 50s and, and have a great retirement. Yeah. If you do a little planning, you truly can live like nobody else that's and retire right. early, right? So that's a good one. All right. That leads up to our first topic here, and that is the 12 boneheaded tax mistakes to avoid. <laughs> yeah, Kathy didn't like that title, my wife. Um, yeah. She thinks that's a little rude. But, yeah. well, you know, I mean, some of these really are boneheaded mistakes. I hate to admit it, but. And and we're not CPAs. We deal right, a lot no. with taxes. These True. are just advice. You got to go see your CPA on this. But we, it's amazing how many mistakes the IRS gets, even from CPAs. They do, and a lot of them are just really simple, careless mistakes that cost you big money. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about those here. Yeah, this is out of a couple articles. One of them is Wealth Builder WealthBuildingCPA.com. It's where a lot of these come from, and an, another if some of these are out of ABCNews.com. From uh, recent tax articles that they have, and but tax season is here, you know, and now it's the stress and the confusion of doing your taxes and getting started right. And unfortunately, the stress is amplified as most of us continue to procrastinate preparing and filing our returns to the very last minute. You know, CPAs say that these are some of the same people who put it off to the last minute. Those are the same people that end up. Forgetting to focus on issues like estimated taxes, you know, deductibles and cost basis. Um, those are the same people, and they end up paying, um, overpaying sometimes. They incur audits and penalties. So they end up with some problems as a result of that. So, therefore, um, you know, they're the ones who end up spending far more than they have to, either on the tax payments or on fines and penalties and extensive legal and accounting advice. Yeah, you know, the best way to avoid the errors which result in these penalties or delays which which block refunds or maybe even trigger an audit is to make tax record keeping, um, you know, a process that you do continually, systematically. You know, you have a little file over to the side that you're you're filing stuff and you're organizing as you go through the year. Um, since even you know some of the smallest errors or omissions, they can have really costly consequences. 
So make sure you organize any bills, vouchers, and receipts that are tax-related so you can easily file them or pull them out you know, when you start to do your taxes. So you're not scrambling and missing things. So, Ouch. So you're saying we need to be organized. Organized. Yeah. Very simple. Just have a tax file. Right, yeah, I'm so, sure you have so one. So next, have you're one. going to be telling people they need to like have a budget, right? Uh, yes, yeah, I'm telling them that this year. That figures. There you go, John. <laughs> Get organized. Sorry, no, that's, that's just important. Well, it is good advice. I mean, a little organization goes a long way. You know, it doesn't even have to be. I mean, I just have a a folder that I stick yeah, all my stuff right. in as it comes in, right? And and I thought this year, you know, it's getting kind of thick. I think I'm going to break it down into maybe several folders. So I have, you know, like. Like charitable in one folder mm-hmm. and, you know, d- income in another folder and, you know, things like that kind of broken down. But yeah, you, you just, it doesn't have to be complicated, but it you've got to be a little bit organized. So also become as familiar as possible with the IRS rules and regulations so that you know what records you need to be keeping for how long. Um, depending on others to, to keep you abreast of the tax rules is just not an effective strategy long term. So you really need to be uh, do your own homework and, and be on top of that a little bit yourself so that you know what's going on. But everybody makes errors on the tax return eventually, and it can result in overpayments or time-consuming and costly audits. But So here are a dozen of some of the most common tax errors that people make. We're going to jump right into this for sake of time here. Number one on the list, John, is claiming incorrect deductions related to dependent children, mm. which is kind of odd. You wouldn't think that would happen that often, but, you know, if the Social Security numbers of your dependents, they match those claimed by somebody else, mm-hmm. um, or they were claimed as a non-dependent themselves when they filed their own tax return, then you're likely to see an audit. Um, so that's a pretty big audit trigger. And this is a really common problem with the divorced parents or, you know, parents of young adults. So yeah. you need to watch for that. So that's number one. Number two here on the list is errors due to simple calculation mistakes. Mm. Amazingly, 20% of taxpayers still file the returns by paper, you know, even in this computer age. And, uh, you know, and at the same time, most of those people could do it free electronically. Yeah. A lot quicker and probably yeah. certainly more automated. It is. If your income's under $58,000, you can e-file for free. So most of those people, they could e-file, but maybe they don't have access to a computer or they're just kind of, you know, doing it themselves and doing it the old-fashioned way. But if you do file by paper, you need to check and recheck your numbers for these simple math errors because the IRS, they automatically check all of your details against your W-2s, your 1099s, and similar statements that are filed by employers for any discrepancies. And when they find a discrepancy, you know, they're going to automatically send you out that nasty letter mm-hmm. in uh, June or so yeah, telling you how much more you owe. Yeah, or they could delay refunds. That's right. As well. A lot of things can happen. So, yeah, so we'll continue this list when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is Dave Ramsey's endorsed local. Provider, and we are going to continue our discussion here before the break. Um, 
about the 12 boneheaded tax mistakes to avoid. Yeah, these are more common than I would have thought. Yeah, they, they really are. And, I mean, some of these are really, really simple. Um, you know, some of these you, you really would uh, knock yourself, you know, on the head and say, that was a boneheaded mistake. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Found out you made this. But, I mean, everybody makes them eventually, right? I mean, some of these careless mistakes. So you need to pay attention um, the first one on the list here, John, was claiming incorrect deductions due to dependent children. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, and as our children get older, like my, my kids are in college and, and Josh has even graduated mm-hmm. now. Um, that's easy to do because, you know, he's going to file his own return and I might claim him as a dependent. And if I don't check with him, yeah, it's he, thinks, set off. he thinks he's independent. Yeah. You know, and, and all of a sudden, you know, it sets off red flags. Mm-hmm. So you got to get that straight. And if you're divorced, of course, you know, you could have two people filing on. Sure. One dependent, so you got you got all those kind of things, and then there are errors due to just simple calculation mistakes, um, which is also just another you know thing. You just it's easy to avoid if you just use tax software. Unfortunately, twenty percent of taxpayers yeah, don't. I was surprised that were, that was that high. Yeah, but. and and those people could file by free mm-hmm. most of them if they just simply you know e filed, which yeah. you can do off the IRS's website, and you can do all these tax. All these um, websites for the uh, tax software let you do it free if you make under 58000 a year. So that's another one. You want to be careful of that. Number three here on the list is ignoring mail from the IRS. Yeah, you know, there's two things that are certain in life, right? Right. Death and taxes. So for sure. this is one of them. If you owe taxes, the IRS is definitely going to collect. I mean, you know, persons who do not communicate with the IRS about the inability to pay can expect something called a notice of federal tax lien to be filed against their property. And in lien terms, this is a lien about the size of Alaska. I mean, this is it. I mean, if they get that thing on your property, you might as well hang it up because... There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that carries much more weight than that. That that lien attaches to all your property, including your house, your car, any future property you might obtain. So they're going to get it. (laughs) So They are. If you get a notice from the IRS, you cannot just throw that on your dresser and think, oh, I'll take care of that in six months. I mean, and most people don't, but, you know, still, I mean, believe it or not, this is a very common mistake people Mm -hmm. make. They just say, oh, they just ignore it like they would ignore, you know, some other fraudulent claim, you know, against them. And even if they disagree with it, you got to respond to that puppy because the IRS, they can seize your car, your boat, your home. They can sell it to satisfy your tax debt, or they can place a levy on your wages, wages. And I mean... The more good news is that those liens often stay on your record long after the issue has been resolved until the IRS gets around to removing it. And if you know how slow the government moves, that (laughs) could be be a long time. So, you know, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. You want to avoid that at all costs. That it is, Edward. That it is. That was ugly. All right. Number four here on the list is paying your taxes with a credit card and incurring the convenience fees. Mm -hmm. It's around 2%. I mean, that that's crazy. You don't want to pay with a credit card. I mean, although this is a better approach than not paying your taxes at all, Yes. I mean, you should investigate the best way to borrow the money, um, compare interest rates with your credit card, with that of like personal loans from the banks and the credit union. The idea is to incur the least amount of money in interest and fees, you know, to get your taxes paid. And then once you do get it paid off, you know, uh, next time update your W-4 so that you're withholding the right amount of money. So you don't get in this bind next next uh, tax mm-hmm. season. Yep. So that was number four. Number five here on the list is spending your refund before you even get it. 
with a loan, a, a refund loan or advance. Boy, that's a that's a no no. That's a huge trap to fall into. Yeah, I mean your patience could your impatience could cost you really big in this because tax refund advances are advertised heavily this time of year. Um, and what they don't tell you is uh, there are lots of fees, very steep interest rates associated with these short-term loans. And, you know, depending on uh, what kind of loan it is, it could be the equivalent of a 100% annual percentage rate, mm-hmm. you know, like 12% for a one-month loan. I mean, it's just insane. So you don't want to do that. Avoid that at all costs. Um yeah, just just don't don't get the advance. Yes, yeah, number six here on the list is not signing your return or including your Social Security number. That's surprising. That, that is definitely a boneheaded mistake. There, many returns are not processed only because they're not signed um, and dated. And you know, checking all the pages carefully really is the best way to ensure that you haven't missed any of the smallest detail. And you know, forgetting to add your Social Security or tax ID number, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's going to prevent the processing of your return and could lead to delays and penalties. So, again, it's, we're talking about a lot of details here. If you're not good at this, go to a CPA. Get someone to work with you on this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you got to make sure you take your time and get that stuff right. And, and sign it? And sign it. That would be good. I mean, it's just like you didn't you didn't file your taxes at all mm-hmm. if it comes back to you and it's not signed. So you don't want to do that. Number seven here on the list is forgetting to submit all the relevant forms, such as your W-2 or your 1040 forms, that's another common error that is going to result in a rejection by the IRS. Um, so check to make sure that you have all the forms you need and then make sure that they're attached to the return before you submit it. You know, just use TurboTax or pay somebody else, you know, to do it. Yeah, there's a lot of service. great great CPAs in the area. We we know a lot of them that, um, you know, they're reasonably priced. I mean, they'll yeah. keep you out of trouble for the most part. They will. And just a tax service. It doesn't even have to be a CPA. Mm-hmm. It can do that. So. Exactly. Right. That's number seven. Number eight here on the list is neglecting to keep track of the tax info, such as your investment cost basis and your interest paid. This is a big one. It I really mean. is, because without that information, without the cost basis, without how much interest you paid, you know, it's impossible to accurately fill out your return. And you're going to experience some serious delays or problems mm-hmm. when you go to file your return. So maintaining those details and records of all your investments, your capital gains, your tax payments made by your investment company, um, you know, that's going to save you a lot of time and money. you got to make sure you do that. All right, next on the list is using the 1040 EZ form. Mm-hmm. Now, it's it sounds like that should be okay, mm-hmm. you know, if you qualify. But the problem is that shortcut can be expensive because it doesn't allow you to um, you take deductions for student loan interest, for example, or alimony or charitable deductions and some of the other common expenses. So that easy form, you know, you may be shortcutting some of the deductions that you're entitled to. Yeah, it may be easy, but you may be missing, exactly. missing out on some, some money due, you, due back to you. So number 10 here on the list is just missing the deadline. You know, there you can actually file an extension uh, it's called Form 4868 by April 15th in order to uh, obtain a legitimate extension. But you know, a lot of people just don't even send it in in time, and therefore they're going to have some late penalties, uh, maybe some interest as well. So, you know, April 15th is there for a reason. Make sure you hit the deadline. Yeah, that's definitely a, a bad mistake. And then uh, next year on the list is using the wrong tables or worksheets. Um, you know, that's an es- a recipe for disaster. Um 
Also, just like filing under the wrong status, that's another one they say here. So you just want to make sure that you're using the right tables, the right booklets. Again, just use software where it does it for you really is the easiest way to avoid that. Okay, and the last one, the, the, the top boneheaded tax mistake here is mailing the form without postage or the wrong address. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's right. I mean, the most boneheaded errors here are made by taxpayers are just simple carelessness. You know, those include not filing out, uh, filling out the uh, payment check properly, failing to sign, as we mentioned before, um, as well as mailing the forms without postage. And the worst of all, it's it's not using the pre-printed label that mm-hmm. the IRS gives you and the envelope they give you from the IRS. Um, you know, so make one of those mistakes, and it's going to be the same as not filing a return at all or sending in your payment by April 15th. So you want to avoid that at all costs. All right. I mean, the ideal way to solve these, John, is just simply to use tax software or a paid preparer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times it won't cost you much more money because by the time you buy TurboTax and you pay the filing, the e- e-filing fees, you know, you wouldn't pay that much more to just get a good tax preparer to, to fill out a simple return and send it in for you. Mm-hmm. You avoid all those mistakes. So, you know, be careful when you file your taxes this year. You don't want to run into those boneheaded tax That's mistakes. That's right. I like them. There you go. All right. And that leads us up here to our money-saving tip of the week. Yeah, this is um, this is a good one. This is it's called Mastering the 30-Day Rule. And and so what the tip is is that, you know, whenever you're considering making an unnecessary purchase, and maybe you set a dollar limit on it, maybe it's 300 bucks, 500 bucks, you know, some some dollar level, wait 30 days and then ask yourself if you still want the item. And, you know, quite often you'll find that the urge to buy has passed and you'll you'll have saved yourself quite a bit of money by simply waiting. And so if you want, you can even keep a 30-day list where you write down the item and the day bef- you know, the day you'll reconsider it or, you know, start looking at it again. Um, and a lot of times what you'll see is you'll just kind of bypass it. You won't buy that item. So whether it's 30 days or two weeks or even a night sometimes waiting a day, that urge when you get in the store or car showroom, you know, you want to buy it. But if you can wait, you know, postpone it, it you can save yourself a lot of money. Yeah, I do that same thing. I mean, I, I always delay for any significant purchase at least a week. And just to think about it. And you know, it's amazing how many times you just forget about it. You don't even know what it was that you wanted, that you thought you had to have at that moment. Yeah. And it turns out it wasn't a need at all. Yeah, you the, know? the importance goes away. Exactly. So I think that's a great way to save a lot of money if you just practice. Don't do impulsive buying. Mm-hmm. Just put it off a week or 30 days, even better. So good tip of the week. All right, and that leads us up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages and GM News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. And I'm here with John Travis, who is Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. And we are going to lead off our second half of the show here with um, an article out of CNN Money about uh, David Booth beats the market without picking stocks. We're talking about investing. We're talking about D 
DFA, Dimensional Fund Advisors. Yes, that's right. It's a mutual fund company that we use, and we're going to be talking about some historical returns here. Obviously, past performance does not guarantee future results. Um, most people know that, that, that do the investing. But DFA has a pretty interesting uh, history, and this guy named David Booth built Dimensional Fund Advisors on the ideas that investors can't beat the market. And and uh, the mutual fund company's assets now total more than $300 billion. They're about the eighth biggest mutual fund company out there. And um, so what's the success of, of this gentleman's company, DFA? And it's beating the market. I mean, he has a great track record historically. And, uh, you know, long before it was fashionable, uh, Booth, who's now 67, bet his career on this this passive investing style, which we're talking a little bit about. It's buying and holding a representative slice of um of equities versus trying to predict the market. So DFA does not try to predict it. They try to tilt some of their portfolios, and we'll get into that a little bit. But he actually co-founded um, DFA back in 1981 with a pioneering mutual fund that passively owned stocks of small companies. So it's he's had a great track record with it. It's an interesting story. Yeah, so dimensional DFA, um, these guys are just index funds, right? They just do like index funds mm-hmm. with, uh, well, yeah, not exactly. Yeah, on steroids. <laughs> on steroids, exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you want to hold a, a market portfolio, that's fine. Um, we think that's good, says Booth in this article. Um, you know, who's described as an all shucks big westerner. Um, <laughs> but we do think we think you can do better, is what he's saying. Dimensional's portfolio looks a lot like index funds. On one hand, um, but they're broadly diversified. They have low management fees, and their holdings are rarely changed. At least not often. Um, but no manager is trying to guess direction of the S&P 500 or evaluate Tim Cook's strategy at Apple. Yeah. So the, in that way, they are very similar to index funds. Yeah. But the way they're different is Dimensional does preach to investors to try to capture, you know, longer, better, uh, uh, long run returns and increasing those by utilizing and tilting their portfolios to favor certain parts of the uh, certain parts of the market. Um, for example, smaller companies. If you look historically, smaller companies have made more than large stocks. Uh, a little bit more volatile, but they add additional return on there. And one of the the DFA funds has made close to twenty percent over the fast last five years, compared to about eighteen and a half percent for an index of the total stock market. So some of their fund performance historically has done well, and they focus on small caps. Is kind of their their niche, and they also look at value funds. We're not going to talk a lot about that, but you know, it's one of the things in the marketplace. One of the reasons, Steve, why most people haven't heard of DFA, it's it's tough to buy the dimensional funds. You can't go yeah. to typical stockbrokers and places to get that. They're sold through financial advisors, um, and a lot of times these advisors work with uh, the wealthy and and four hundred one ks and so forth. But um, you know, you're going to be hearing more about DFA and some other funds that are coming out because a lot of people are kind of attracted to their philosophy and they look at the results and they've been pretty good um, over time. It's not a magic bullet. It's not perfect, but they've done fairly well. And, uh, you know, the heyday of what you might call the um, uh, fund manager who just picks stocks is kind of kind of going away a little bit. Um, you know, the success of index funds, uh, which now accounts for about 28% of all fund assets, is growing. And uh, DFA is a part of that that growth, and there's other companies out there, Vanguard and some other folks that are doing that. But DFA has a pretty unique niche in the marketplace. Yeah, they're definitely a different type of mutual fund company. Um, you know, some passive managers uh, like DFA are using historical patterns and statistical models to create funds that kind of make broad strategic bets on the market. 
Um, any, besides DFA, there are players out there like BlackRock, the world's largest fund group asset manager out there. Um, they're they're kind of taking the the radical position is well, one of them is MIT's economist Andrew Lowe. Um, he's aiming not only to improve the academic theory that drives both traditional indexes and dimensional, but also to create new breed of funds that he hopes will be as transformative as the original index funds. Mm-hmm. But, you know, DFA is a little bit different, I believe. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, these proponents of these different approaches, there's a lot of intriguing evidence that they can come up with. And, you know, it's it's good for investors to step back and look and do research and make sure that it's right for them. But, um, you know, these some of these strategies have done well in recent years. And, um, you know, investors, a lot of investors have woken up to the fact that it's really hard for these, you know, a lot of mutual fund companies out there that have active management. It's hard for those folks long term to beat the markets. And so they're becoming more and more receptive to index funds and things of like like DFA is doing, because, you know, if you can if you can mimic the market and make market returns and maybe a little bit higher long term, that's that's work that would work out well for them. Yeah, it's it's also, you know, the the new sort of investing debate that's going on out there um is the choice between passive and between active. It's not the choice between passive and active anymore. You know, that used to be the debate and it and it tends to most academics I think that are honest with themselves agree today that passive will beat active in general over time. Right. So now it's between passive, you know, do you just use index funds or do you kind of use passive with a twist, you know, passive mm-hmm. with some enhancements to it? And that's what where DFA comes into the picture. But according to Index Universe, among exchange traded funds that invest in stocks, only a third employ one of those new strategies. So, you know, a closer look at the arguments behind the do better portfolios like DFA um, and the lessons you can apply to your own investing, uh, I think, you know, warrants some yeah. some time. Yeah, and some of the research they've done, we've talked about the small stocks, um, you know, historically have done very well. Value stocks have done well. We'll talk about some new research here in a couple minutes that DFA's recently come out with. It's really exciting. But, you know, Dimensional Fund Advisors started out in, in a, as a two-man operation in a in a Brooklyn apartment. It's grown to over 800 employees. And and so this this gentleman, um, David Booth, has has done extremely well. He's actually given back quite a bit to the University of Chicago, um, over three hundred million dollars to that organization. That's where he was raised, basically, with a, a guy named Eugene Fama. Have you ever heard his name? Yeah, he's pretty popular. Just won a Nobel Prize last yes, year. Yes, he did. He won a Nobel uh, Economic Nobel Prize for some of his research that he's done. So. You know, some of the, the information and some the way that DFA processes is a little different, very academically uh, based, but, um, you know, it depends on the individual's situation. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that um, uh, the, these funds are have picked up attention here lately is because index funds, I mean, these funds, along with the low cost, they beat the average fund manager, and index funds do that consistently, right? As of mid 2013, for example, 72% of U.S. stock funds lag the S&P 500 composite index. It's just a broad market index um, over the past five years. So, you know, I mean, index funds do do beat the average mutual fund over time. That's yeah, what they they're do. showing here. Yeah, and, and this guy named Eugene Fama, who won the Nobel Prize um, in 2013 for this efficient markets hypothesis, he's on Dimensional's uh, board. And, 
you know, dimensional funds are, are really vehicles for capturing, um, you know, such effects as small companies and value stocks. So, you know, one of the, um, uh, one of the funds that they have, DFA US Microcap, it's an index portfolio of just really small companies and it has really low annual fees. So DFA has looked at data historically. Some of the data goes back into the 1920s. And they're an academic firm, so they're they're all very different than most index firms as well as mutual funds out there. So, um, you know, this tilting strategy has had some some pretty good results historically. Yeah, and tilting presents kind of a, a a ticklish problem here. They describe. I mean, if there's evidence that certain stocks will outperform, um, how can markets be efficient? Is really the question. So. Why don't investors just pile into those great stocks and bid up prices and therefore eliminate the higher returns? Well, and so what DFA is saying here and what Booth says is that because they're riskier. I mean, small companies often have untested business models, right? Um, the value effect is a little bit less intuitive, but it's because cheaper stocks you would think would be safer. In fact, they're, they're not. I mean, you know, a, a company that's, a value company that's mm-hmm. at a low price. There's a reason it's at a low price, and because it's underperformed its peers in terms of earnings and some of the business type measures that they go by. Yeah, and it's pretty cool. Dimensional just came out with some new um, research, and it shows that companies with higher profits relative to the assets on the books they seem to earn better returns. So you know, Dimensional they they do look at new factors, new dimensions. Um, they're they're adding this factor to its tilts and. And again, um, DFA, Dimensional Fund Advisors, eighth largest mutual fund company in the world, not very well known. They're getting a lot of press. I mean, with Eugene Fama winning the Nobel Prize recently, and and uh, they're just out in the marketplace more. And uh, we're happy to be, uh, you know, affiliated and using them as our basis. Um, we uh, again, it's not a perfect solution, and past performance doesn't guarantee future results. But they have a pretty cool concept going on. Yeah, I think they're an exciting fun group, and you know, it's really exciting some of the academic research that's behind their uh, behind their funds and behind their philosophy of the way to invest. And um, you know, it's different, John. I mean, you have to dig into it; it's a lot of detail. But you know, there there's there's definitely something there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason why they have two. Nobel Prize winners on the Board of Advisors. That's why we're using them. That's right. All right. Well, that leads us up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. And we are um, going to start off this last uh, segment here with the prescription of the week. Yeah, I had a meeting this last week, um, Steve, and we, we talk about this topic periodically, but long-term care. So this couple's done a, um, a nice job saving for retirement. They have some disability policies, life insurance policies. They don't have long-term care insurance, 64 and 60, and, you know, yeah. it's not a bad time. Um, you know, 64 is a little bit late. We usually recommend, and Dave Ramsey recommends right at age 60 to look at it. So um, that's another piece of the puzzle. Um, some of the estimates that we see out there are, for some folks, upwards of, you know, $200,000 for medical expenses in retirement. And so this can be 
just a piece of your retirement plan to give you some protection. Um, yeah, I think it's important. I mean, it's not for everybody, right? Not, I mean, it depends on your, your situation, absolutely. your asset level, um, and what, how much protection you want for the uncertain things in the future. But it is very valuable insurance if you can afford it and get a good policy and you're in the right situation. Yes. So you definitely need to look at it. Consider it. Yep. Everybody for retirement should take a look. All right, that leads up to our last topic here, and that is um, we're going to talk about the the budget that was just passed. First budget in what five years now? Mm, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, but the House passed the the, the House and Senate passed the one point one trillion dollar bill to fund the government. So, um, you know, we're going to dig into that here. An article uh, right out of the Aiken Standard, but it's Associated Press article. Yeah, so. I mean, you know, the 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 bill was really driven by a bipartisan desire to restore some of the painful cuts that we had in domestic and defense programs and show, you know, dis, you know, dissatisfied voters that Congress can still do its job, even though if you open up the hood on this, um, it's not a very impressive budget, but at least they have one. right? Yeah. I mean, I think there was just, there was just no tolerance for any more bickering this year about yep. the budget and the, the lawmakers since that. And so they just wanted to get this behind them, get it past the election Nobody wanted to be talking about the budget leading up to the election, right? Yeah, that's right. It's, yeah, it's passed. So, yeah, so the bill swept through the House, um, you know, a big big margin, two and a half to one margin through the House and um, through the Senate this week as well, I believe. And, you know, there were just three Democrats that opposed it. So pretty much all the Democrats are on board. I mean, there's some Tea Party folks that um, were resisting it a little bit. Um, but these measures virtually, the funds virtually everything, uh, every government agency and contains some compromises, um, to almost all, every one of the, uh, pages here. I mean, five, there's 1,582 yeah. pages on the bill. So it's a huge, I wonder bill. how many people read that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's typical, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I bet, bet there's a whole bunch of pork in there too. Oh, we I'm just sure. haven't seen it yet. You know, <laughs> it covers the, the one third of government spending subject to annual decisions by Congress and the White House. Programs that absorb the, the brunt of the budget, um, cuts racked up since Republicans reclaimed control of the House three years ago, unfortunately excluded some very important items. Yeah, I mean, it excluded any kind of cuts or any kind of addressing um, the giant benefit programs like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps. You know, those run on autopilot and are increasingly driving the government deeper in the debt. So that's the can that people talk about kicking down the road. That's what they did here, too. That's where the the changes are going to have to be made in the future. And we, we see changes in pensions daily almost in newspapers and you know, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, I mean, they have to be addressed at some point. Unfortunately, they didn't get done in this particular, um, you know, budget. So, That's but, right. you know, it's interesting. Tea Party Republicans who were just lambasted uh, after sparking a 16-day partial shutdown of the government in October, um, you know, they were trying to derail President Barack Obama's health care law. Um, they appeared resigned to, to, to the bill. I mean, they kind of fell in line, didn't hear a lot of you know, talk out of them, and I think they kind of realize slay low 2014 elections are coming up, and uh, let's see what happens then. Yeah, I mean, one of the Tea Party leaders here, uh, Representative uh, Raul Lambador, um, basically he said, you know, I don't think there's going to be a lot of opposition here, and, you know, the die has been cast for next year on budget fights, 
So basically they're saying, you know, they're just tired. They just wanted to get this behind them, and, and there just wasn't a lot of support for fighting this. Yeah, you know, d- even though they didn't have sweeping cuts in the budget, I think one of the positive things, at least from the stock market, is is they didn't have to go through the consternation of another government shutdown, right? For sure, yeah. And there I, was no – nobody wanted that. Nobody has the tolerance for going through another round of that. And the Republicans, quite frankly, and conservatives, Tea Parties, I don't care what flavor you are – Nobody wins in that mm-hmm. situation. Um, everybody looks bad. And a, a year ago, or maybe maybe it was a year and a half ago now, when they went through that last, back in the fall, you know, they did get some mileage out of that, right? They got sequestration. Mm-hmm. They got some big cuts. Um, I say they were big, but they were big by but, government standards. Yes. You know, they weren't big percentage-wise. But, um, you know, so they did get some mileage. But this last time, they got absolutely nothing out of it. And there just there just wasn't any any room to to yeah. negotiate. Well, the twenty fourteen fall elections are gonna, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. There's a lot of dissatisfied folks out there with our um, Congress, you know, and to buy time for the the Senate debate. Uh, Congress this last week sent President uh, Obama a three day funding bill in time to avert a scheduled shutdown at midnight, and the Senate cleared that measure overwhelmingly, and Obama quickly signed it as well. So. I think they're moving on to different issues and topics um, because, you know, 2014 and then 2016 is going to, you know, we've dug ourselves, continue to dig ourselves a hole. And from a deficit standpoint, hopefully someone will step up in the next couple of elections and and address it because it needs to be. Yeah, it does. And conservatives are showing some restraint now because, I mean, the the 1,582 page bill, $1.1 trillion dollars, um, you know, it's a massive piece of legislation. Republicans criticize that type of legislation when they successfully sought power three years ago in the House, but now they really just kind of gave a hand wave to this, John. They didn't really fight it, fight this at all. Yeah, and then then add, you know, to that, the funding included the implementation of Obamacare. So, you know, that was a particularly galling defeat for the Tea Party and its supporters who pushed the government into a uh, partial shutdown last fall in an attempt to cut off the support for all the health care law. I, I know you've said many times when you wrestle with a pig, Everybody comes out muddy, that's and exactly that's what happened. Right. They, I think Republicans really took it on the chin on that, and um, if they would have stayed away from that, Obamacare you know, mishaps would have been more in the news than, than what it was. Yeah, the good news is at its core, I mean, the legislation did kind of cement the most fundamental accomplishments to date by the conservatives in the three tumultuous years, you know, the divided government. Um, the combined spending for thousands of the routine government programs is in a general decline, and that's going to – it'll continue to, um, you know, continue that in the future. I mean, it's on schedule to continue to dwindle down. So the legislation will continue the downward trend of federal spending that it puts our nation on a sustainable fiscal path, according to, you know, this representative here in the House. Um, but, but having said that, I mean, we still have some huge – spending issues as we mentioned before with all these um yeah these uh entitlement programs that aren't being addressed yeah and like all uh, bipartisan deals some things for democrats that are good that they like and some things for republicans as well uh, it does unwind some of the damaging cuts caused by the sequestration and ensures the uh, continuation of critical services um by for some of the american people I, you know I, I look at this stuff steve and and um I think from a market standpoint, you didn't hear anything about it in the markets because, you know, uh, I think the markets and people expect the government to do budgets and get things done. And when they don't, like they have the last, you know, three or four years, it it does 
cause consternation um, in the markets when the markets can't see clearly what um, the politicians are doing, what taxes look like. When they can't see past these regulations, a lot of times they they don't spend as much as they they have in the past, and we see that with GDP. It's not a real strong number. At no, this point. it's not a very robust recovery. And I will say this for the Republicans: I think they're smart in the sense that they didn't want to put the focus on the budget issues again um, when we've already fought that fight. You know, for a lot of conservatives, instead they wanted to keep it on Obamacare and mm-hmm. the Affordable Care Act and the failing there. And, you know, trying to get some momentum to take over the Senate and get that repealed next, next, uh, you know, next year. Yeah. And so that's really where they wanted to keep the focus. I think the other takeaway for me on this article, Steve, is, is, you know, when I talk to folks, and I, I know you do as well, stock market is fundamentally based on corporate earnings. Right. Corporations <laughs> are earning more than, you know, typically the stock market will, will go up. There's all these noise events that happen. And this is one of the noise events that's happened many times over the last three or four years. Markets have done pretty well. It doesn't drive. They? Yeah, those those I mean, issues don't drive the stock market. Long term, they do not. Short term, they can. But if you have you know good diversification, have a plan in place, um, you can get through those difficult times and come out historically a winner. That's what we see historically. If you do some of these things, you can you can win. Yeah, I mean companies have cut way back, and you know as a result, they're they're very profitable, and so that's what's driven the stock market these last few years, yep. and hopefully we'll continue to do so in the future. But, um, all right. Well, good topic. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD with John and Steve. But tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. And email us your questions. We would love to hear from you at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call, John and Steve at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and stay tuned for Doug Allen, The Spirit of Racing, coming right up. Have a good one. About a certain someone. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA, and SIPC.